African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy, of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Well, thank you for joining us in a new week and uh, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. If you're listening to us on our website, thank you for streaming us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm sure also if you're listening to us via satellite feed, that's on our uh, DSTV bouquet. Thank you as well for joining us. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at uh, the new era for Nigeria following the landslide victory of President uh, Muhammadu Buhari in the last Nigerian elections. What does he actually bring forward to the table for the country with so many challenges in Nigeria? We'll look at that, but let's get our news from En Musa. In the headlines, political parties in Burundi to hold a meeting today to discuss a new date for elections. Algeria, Egypt and Italy calls for a political solution in Libya ahead of talks in Morocco later today. And Sudan's President Omar al-Bashir forms a new government. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Political parties in Burundi will today hold a meeting to discuss a new date for elections. This after the government and the Electoral Commission agreed to postpone elections. President Pierre Nkurunziza says the issue of him contesting elections should not be part of the meeting, as the matter was discussed at last week's East Africa Community Meeting. However, leader of the opposition, Charles Njete, speaking through an interpreter, says discussing the third-term bid is not negotiable. We would like to repeat it again once and for all. The third term is not negotiable because the Burundian people have said no to President Kuruziza on the 21st March 2014 when they rejected the amendment of the Constitution in the National Assembly. The people have spoken through their representatives. De la constitution par l'Assemblée nationale. Le peuple a parlé à travers eh, ses représentants. 
Meanwhile, the trend by some African leaders to amend their country's constitutions to prolong their stay in power will come under discussion during the African Union's Heads of State and Government Summit in Johannesburg this week. South Africa's International Relations Minister, Maite Nkwana Mashabane. cannot decide for Burundi as to what their future should be, but that they try and conduct their electoral process in a politically conducive and peaceful environment. So this political dialogue, which would also help explain the intricacies that are there in their constitution, will go a long way for maintenance of peace and security in that country and broadly in the region. Algeria, Egypt and Italy have called for a political solution in Libya. This has talks aimed at forming a unity government are being held in Morocco today. Months of United Nations mediated talks between Libyan factions have failed to produce a political accord. Libya plunged into chaos after a 2011 NATO-backed uprising toppled and killed longtime leader Muammar Gaddafi. Two parliaments and two governments are vying for control of the country, where the Islamic State Jihadist group has recently made inroads. Sudan's President Umar al-Bashir has formed a new government this month after he secured a landslide victory in elections boycotted by the opposition and marred by allegations of fraud. According to al-Bashir, Sudan's new government will be made up of 31 cabinet ministers. Al-Bashir has also issued a decree that appointed governors for the African country's 18 states. And finally, the global fight against hunger and poverty is being put under the spotlight over the next week as international experts gather in Rome. They're meeting at the 39th Conference of the Food and Agriculture Organization. Daniel Dickinson reports. The 39th FAO Conference will highlight the fact that despite much progress, high levels of poverty, hunger and vulnerability remain in many countries around the world. The eradication of hunger and extreme poverty are expected to be central to the Sustainable Development Goals, the international targets that will replace the Millennium Development Goals at the end of the year. Delegates are to discuss how the new goals can effectively reduce poverty and food insecurity. Recapping the top stories, the Sawa political parties in Burundi to hold a meeting to discuss a new date for elections. Algeria, Egypt and Italy calls for a political solution in Libya ahead of talks in Morocco later today. And Sudan's President Omar al-Bashir forms a new government. Well, you are listening to African Dialogue. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. And just a reminder, as I mentioned when we started the program, our DSTV channel 902 uh, was launched on Thursday. Thank you as well if you're joining us on that particular facility there. Thank you as well if you're still listening to us on your radio set on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. And if you're streaming us on our website, it's on www.channelafrica.co.za. And if you just 
have been introduced to us on our DSTV channel. Uh, I would actually recommend that you find out what we do, what we're all about here in Channel Africa and what kind of services we provide. Go to www.channelafrica.co.za. That's channelafrica.co.za. Well, today on the program, African Dialogue, where we really look at uh, zooming into the pivotal issues on the continent. Today we're focusing on the political and economic developments in Nigeria uh, following the landslide victory of uh, President uh, uh, Muhammadu Buhari in the last Nigerian elections. We know that uh, Muhammadu Buhari was inaugurated last month in what some analysts have hailed as remarkable. His address highlighted points of engagement of the new administration in tackling national issues ranging from security, unemployment to power shortages. We know that also there's been an issue of terrorism in the country with Boko Haram and the girls that were abducted in the country. Uh, on the program this morning, we're unpacking what the new administration is going to be grappling with going forward. And uh, we already have uh, Richard uh, uh, Irwana, who is a political analyst based at the University of uh, Pretoria and also the senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies based in Pretoria. Now, just to unpack the man, Muhammadu Buhari, Richard, who can we say he is? What does he actually uh, actually have for us? And what kind of history does he have? We know that it's not a very, very uh, a history that doesn't have much controversy behind it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, good morning. Um, I think uh, this is somebody that uh, Nigerians uh, know very well. Uh, his background in the military, he was a general, and then became a head of state in 1983, uh, served for two years, and uh, was overthrown in 1985. Um, but during his short rule in Nigeria, he was noted uh, because he brought um, things or ideas and attitudes, uh, practices that uh, Nigerians have never seen before. Uh, the most uh, uh, notorious one was uh, the so-called war against indiscipline, in which he forced Nigerians um, to learn how to queue. Uh, before that, uh, you know, if you go to the airport, for example, in Nigeria, it was everything was in uh, chaos. It was so difficult for people to uh, have that patience to queue, uh, whether for etiquette or for whatever they were doing. It was all about the use of force. It was all about power. It was about who you know and so on and so forth. So he brought this order to Nigeria. Uh, the war against indiscipline was not just about queuing. It actually uh, went after people who urinated the streets. So if you if you urinate in the street, you were uh, that was a crime against indiscipline. So you were indiscipline, and that was an offence against the state. So it, it brought Nigerians uh, really to uh, to a new order that they've never seen before. Mm. Uh, things change, uh, the lifestyle changed. People started uh, having this uh, these good manners in the street that uh, had never existed before. Uh, but uh, apart from that, uh, also his uh, economic uh, prowess was uh, also noted because um, he's the one that uh, came in at a time uh, when also uh, the economy was struggling. Uh, power was a serious problem. Um, he was the one who actually built the the, uh, the power stations that uh, Nigerians are using today. Um, then petrol also, he, he was the one who built the factories. 
which uh, are the ones producing today in Nigeria, which they are using uh, to refine, because Nigeria does not have a very strong uh, refinery, but the few that they have, um, again, are attributed uh, to Buhari. So he's the man who uh, was known for uh, being very strict, a man who was known for his work, mm. somebody when he promised you something, um, he was going to deliver. And I think this was uh, the campaign that uh, he used. His, uh, really, his record in terms of uh, fighting corruption uh, came from there, that two-year rule, uh, because he, he implemented a zero tolerance for uh, corruption in Nigeria. Well, Richard, let me hear from Martin what his view is. Uh, you sound like a uh, much of a, ce- a celebrator of uh, uh, Muhammadu Buhari, but we know that President Muhammadu Buhari was also a military ruler of Nigeria from 1993 to 1985. Martin, and in terms of his reputation, is it as uh, bright and colorful as uh, Richard highlights it to be? Um, sorry, it was Martin um, actually speaking. Uh, All right, fantastic. Let me take that question to to Richard. I apologise to that, um, Richard. Let me let me take it to you. Sorry to have confused the two of you. But what are your views there? Uh, I didn't get your question very well. Well, Martin, I was asking what are your views of Nigeria's President Muhammadu Buhari? Oh, uh, okay. Uh, just like you said, the first speaker was, you know, pointed out about his, uh, uh, his incorruptible, so to say, and characteristics that uh, he has brought into uh, into the presidency. Uh, I would think, that he, and he confirmed serious non-zero tolerance for corruption, and I would think that going forward, uh, he might, uh, you know, implement some of these, uh, you know, anti-corruption policies that uh, Nigerians know him for. And, uh, but uh, going back to fight other corruptions in the, on the past regimes, might uh, kind of uh, uh, be interpreted as uh, as wind hunting, and you know, for the past uh, for past leaders, and uh, you will never get to the bottom of the matters. So I think uh, what, what this government needs to do would be uh, to implement his policies uh, um, from this year onward. And let's see how far he can go uh, with the issue of fighting uh, corruption rather than going into issues of uh, setting up uh, inquiries and inquiries that we have had in the past that eventually will amount to nothing. Uh, also, also, he inherited an economy that's also in problem. And uh, the, the level, I mean, the degree to which he tackles problems of youth unemployment in the country uh, would be issues on which his government will be judged. And I think uh, he would do better uh, by fighting uh, youth unemployment, especially in the region such as the United Delta region, and also in the northern part of the country, as well as uh, uh, in other parts of uh, 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 Nigeria. And that is it. Okay. And also, when we, you know, we still here. Hello? You can con- you can continue, Richard. Uh, okay. Well, I was saying that. Uh, 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 politically, also, he would try to mend fences with the opposition, as well as, uh, uh, I know, uh, militant groups from the Niger Delta region, uh, militant groups from other parts of the country. He will have the tackle, uh, uh, show us the blueprint of how he will tackle the Book of Arab Insurgency that is also currently happening in much eastern part of the country. Uh, the degree to which he succeeds uh, in, uh, in doing this uh, will be uh, what Nigeria is judging for and with.
Well, let me take this to Dr. Oledirán Bello. Let's welcome him into the program. He's the program head of Governance of Africa's Resources Program at the South African Institute of International Affairs. We know that the ruling party lost uh, one of its influential members in the name of Olusegun Obasanjo just before the presidential election, citing good luck Jonathan's weak leadership. Now, would you say uh, that the, the leadership that was presented by good luck Jonathan during his presidency gave uh, President Buhari a victory in a silver platter? Do you think it made it easier for him? And also looking at some of the challenges that were highlighted there by uh, Richard and Martin, uh, Dr. Bello. Yeah, l- l- let me be provocative and then uh, say that um, Buhari won the election, Jonathan lost. Um, I think fundamentally they are both um, hostage um, to similar sets of circumstances. Um, Jonathan has been much vilified um, for a lot of his doings and undoing in office and um, issues of um, corruption in his administration and the way he dealt with that, the Boko Haram um, conflict that has seemingly spun out of control, um, ballooning challenges um, of unemployment and widening inequality even as Nigeria was emerging as the largest um, economy in Africa. Fundamentally, I believe um, President Jonathan um, is a good man and um, you know, if anyone has doubt about that, we can have a debate about it. I think that's really evident um, in the way that is uh, swiftly conceded um, electoral defeat that's unprecedented in the history of Nigeria. There was nothing standing in, in its way and um, wanting to play the spoiler and, and clinging on, on to power as Laurent Dago did next door just a few years ago after losing an election, but he chose the part of honor. So his record in office was very mixed. Um, on the governance front, he failed. Um, in terms of the legacy bequeathed to his people, um, I think um, generations of Nigerians to come would always remember him. Um, and I think, you know, he has he had this mixed record because the governance in Nigeria is a difficult thing. He was surrounded by many people who did not necessarily um, have the best interests of the country at heart. And um, I think he did not navigate all of that and very well. Buhari, that situation has not disappeared. Mm. Um, I had my colleague Richard um, talk very positively about Buhari's um, achievement his first time around. He's very right. Um, Buhari stands for a, for something I think Nigeria needs um, in large doses, um, which is um, this ability to um, inspire. Um, you know, um, transparency and discipline in public affairs. I think demand has matched. It would continue to um, to demand that. The question for Buhari, as it was for Jonathan, ultimately, this will will his force of personality be such that you would be able to tame the demon, um, um, you know, that is misgovernance. Um, written very much into the fabric um, of governance in Nigeria. You know, you cannot flick a switch and and go from that really bad situation under the outgoing administration we're talking about and to a situation where suddenly governance is so smooth sailing, all of the bodies are gone. No, it's not going to happen. We wish him well. He's got his tax cut out. It's going to be difficult. Started well. 
by dampening out the, down the expectations, saying to Nigerians, we're going to work hard, but we're not going to change all of this um, in a single day. He's going to need time, whether he would be able to come. Um, I expect him to improve a lot of things. Time is not on his side. He's 72. And um, whether he will run for a second time and carry on some of this work, I think it's an open question. But fundamentally, um, misgovernance is something written mm-hmm. into the fabric of politics in Nigeria. Wari has got his task and has cut out. You've seen that with the crippling of the nation's economy and, and um, public life with the petroleum um, shortage crisis. Mm-hmm. You've seen as it was about to be inaugurated. How he deals with all of this and is left to be seen. Well, we'll look at uh, some of the things that he uh, has to actually address in the economy, as you highlighted very rightly there, Dr. Bello, is the issue of uh, the petroleum crisis in the country, the issue of uh, terrorism and also mismanagement in governance. Now, we'll come back to you. If you just joined us, we've got Richard Iriona, who's a political analyst based at the University of Pretoria. Martin Ewi, as well, is joining us. He's a researcher at the Institute for Security Studies. We also have Dr. Ola Deran Bello, who's the program head of the Governance of Africa's Resources Program at the South African Institute of International Affairs. Stay with us, guests, and stay with us uh, as a listener. We'll be back and continue with this conversation after this break. would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five, or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa Numerical 1. Or write to us at the address P.O. Box 91313 Auckland Park, Johannesburg, 2006 Republic of South Africa. We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Thank you for joining us. If you're listening to us on the DSTV Channel 902, which was launched last week Thursday. Thank you as well if you're listening to us on our radio set frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Thank you for streaming us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. There's so many ways of listening to Channel Africa. Today we're focusing on the presidency of uh, Muhammadu Buhari. We know that he is now the 72-year-old uh, president of Nigeria. He was in office, he's been in office rather, since the 29th of May 2015. Just looking at his background, he's a retired Nigerian army major general and was the head of state of Nigeria from the 31st of December 1983 to the 27th of August 1985. Now joining us, we have Richard Ayriona, who is uh, the political analyst based at the University of Pretoria and also the senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies based in Pretoria, Martin 
Ewi and Dr. Uh, Oladiran Bello, who is the program head of Governance of Africa Resources Program of the South African Institute of International Affairs. Now, coming back to you, Martin, looking at uh, the challenges that are facing Nigeria, we've got this big issue of uh, the Boko Haram uh, issue that was made international news. We also have this issue now that's also kind of uh, uh, being in the spotlight of the petroleum um, uh, shortage in the country. There's a lot of challenges in Nigeria in terms of administration as well as highlighted by Dr. Ola Diran Bello. Martin, where does uh, Muhammadu Buhari start? Where would be the best place for him to start in order to to fix things and turn things around for uh, Nigeria, Martin? Well, I think uh, Buhari will have to spread uh, all his tentacles because uh, if he wants to uh, prioritize in terms of one after the other, he might run into some serious problems because uh, there are about three issues or four issues, I would say, which uh, for me are very hot, and these are issues that you cannot prioritize one over the other. Um, if you take, for example, the issue of Boko Haram, if Buhari were to fold his arms today um, uh, on the pretext that he wants to deal with the issue of uh, petroleum, which, uh, you know, we having Nigerians again back in the queues in the street, you know, to, uh, 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 to get uh, petrol, um, that will also not go down well because that will give Boko Haram an upper hand. He cannot also abandon the issue of electricity, saying that, you know, he wants to prioritize on the issue of Boko Haram. So these are issues that he will have to come up with at least immediate quick fixes. So he cannot really, these are issues for me which they fall at the same level, because if he focuses on one and ignore the others, um, the country is going to explode, and he will have uh, this influx of uh, uh, opposition criticism about, uh, you know, people thinking that he was coming in uh, with hands-on, on the deck immediately, get rolling, and so on and so forth. So uh, he, he has uh, issues which uh, I think uh, most uh, uh, presidents um, have not had before, because he came in at a time that... Nigerians were extremely hungry for petrol. There was scarcity of petroleum in Nigeria, uh, one of the highest producers of petrol in the world. I mean, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a contrast that uh, it's unbelievable. And then you have the issue of electricity. Uh, this is Africa's strongest economy. And uh, you have in the capital city people going for days, weeks without electricity. This is uh, again, another contrast uh, of Nigeria. And these are issues that Buhari will have to deal with. These are daily issues, uh, you know, that people confront on a daily basis. And things that could give him quick fixes. If he could, even putting Boko Haram mm. aside, mm. if he could have quick fixes uh, in terms of resolving the petroleum issue and the issue of electricity and the water, uh, uh, pipe-borne water issue in Nigeria, mm. I think that could give him uh, some confidence. People might begin to have confidence that this is the right person they voted for. Mm. Now, let me move... Let me move on to Richard and hear his views. There, Martin is saying, Richard, that, hey, uh, Buhari has to multitask during his presidency and he has to do it fast. What's your view, Richard? Um, exactly. Uh, what he's saying is the right thing. Socially, the country is in a mess. Um, as you said, the electricity is in short supply. 
The country produces only about 40,000 layer white electricity compared to other countries like South Africa. And um, we will have to develop the economy. We will have to uh, grow the economy. And the electricity sector has to be fixed and fixed very fast. And if that is done, if we have in reducing youth unemployment, and that we have experienced in the country for a very long time, and also socially, also, the education sector in Nigeria is also in shambles. Uh, the Buhari government will need to revitalize that sector. It needs to increase the uh, increase, uh, increase allocation to that sector, increase research in that sector. And uh, of course, we'll be having a lot of brain drain, you know, in that country as a result of the falling standard of education. And uh, I think that Buhari will do want to attract Nigerian academics who are in diaspora. But to come back also to help in building the country. And you can only do that by improving the educational sector. And of course, it talks about the effect uh, about uh, carbon water. And we know the excellence of water in every society. It is, there's, no point, there's no way that the health sector can... And, uh, and, uh, can can uh, and can uh, Nigerians can be healthy in the absence of uh, clean water. And for a very long time, many Nigerians have depended on boreholes. You know, to they, they, they produce their own water, uh, they generate their own electricity. I mean, all these sectors that government has to you know look into and have to do something about you know to uh, to ensure that the country, uh, uh, you know, the economy grows and that the country is. Uh, 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 it's stable again. So there are a lot of areas that he has to, he yeah. has to look, look, look into. The issue of local government administration, for example, is another area that gives a lot of problems yeah. to, the country, uh, to the country. Where, of course, the top tier of government is not working. It is supposed to bring the government nearer to the people, but it is not being done so. And for a very long time, no development has uh, and it has been done at the local levels. And we've had a lot of allocations in to local government areas that this allocation being hijacked by the state government and used for no purpose for the local, local, local people. So he has, he has to do something about this. And of course, and doing something about this means also uh, uh, that uh, there needs to be clear separation of this uh, mm. of, of, of government, not putting local government under the state control, under state control of state government. This has been the problem we've been having over the years. Mm. So, uh, and uh, going, uh, looking at... Uh, Internationally, also, what has to mend also the Nigerian relationship with neighboring countries, of course. Uh, we've seen that it took them time before they could get involved in fighting Boko Haram. So I think this needs to be mended there, and also with other countries of the world, like United States, for example. So these are the areas, the last thing that the government of Buhari will need to seriously work on. Mm. Richard, you're highlighting very interesting things and you bring in the economy into the fold there. Let me take that to Dr. Oladirin Bello. Uh, I know a recent year-long study of Nigeria by the McKinsey Global Institute showed that over the next 15 years, Nigeria has the potential to become a major global economy. And there's a lot of potential in Nigeria in terms of its, in its economy. We know that uh, it's actually a rat race between South Africa and Nigeria in terms of booming economies on the continent. How does this new administration actually consolidate that reality and actually push it forward to make sure that actually there's an increase in capacity when it comes to the economy. Dr. Bello? You see, we, we talk uh, often about Nigeria in terms of challenges. Um, I think we also need to talk um, about Nigerians' um, promises and opportunities, um, and those are very significant. 
I'm fairly sure you've asked yourself um, at one point or another, how come a country that um, in which we've seen so much instability and insecurity and starting from the Boko Haram and many and a host of other challenges that are associated with Nigeria, how come um, this same country has grown for um, at, at more than 7% on the average and over the last decade or so and has um, eventually been confirmed officially as um, the largest economy in Africa? The answer lies in the paradox of Nigeria um, and I think it's a good paradox um, in that um, Nigeria has achieved all it has. Um, despite all the challenges and in spite of government, um, not as a result um, of good governance. So in that sense, I think Buhari's challenges are complex but also fairly straightforward. Um, what it needs to prioritize um, is to make government um, become a better enabler um, of social and economic development in Nigeria where it can. And in other instances, the government simply needs to learn to step back and not be a constraint or break um, on, on what Nigerians can, can achieve themselves. Nigerians are, um, are very entrepreneurial people, very dynamic, and as, as a lot of people who have been to the country would attest to, you see the energy on the street, and it's amazing. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited for Nigeria. I think um, if Buhari begins to get one or two things right, Nigeria would be firmly back in the game. What does he need to um, prioritize to achieve um, the promise that McKinsey's study um, um, pointed to um, in terms of Nigeria's ability to emerge um, as a significant global um, player over the course of the next um, century? I think McKinsey Institute very comprehensive hmm. story that points to the same thing, that if you look at Africa over the next um, you know, 15 to 20 years horizon, hmm. Nigeria's promises are immense, and in the longer term, it's the only African country that could possibly emerge to become a globally significant economic and political player. Um, and we all ought to be here everything we can to make sure that Nigeria um, um, can achieve um, its promises. Because if it does, I think it's a boon for the rest of Africa. So even where I would like Buhari to prioritize, and mm. um, mm. it to be active on different the governance dimension, the socio-economic pillar, and I think um, the energy and security and complex, those two are linked. What do I mean by this? On governance, what he needs to do is simple. There is a structural imbalance that I think has had Nigeria back for too long. A country that constantly spends 70% of its government revenue on recurrent expenditure, bloated salary for lawmakers and other functionaries, um, you know, ostentatious consumption that does not really um, pay attention to the need of the people. All of that needs to change, and Buhari has made all the right noises about wanting to change that. So within the governance cluster, you must address mm -hmm. that structural imbalance. You need to flip things on its head. Nigeria needs to spend about 70% of its um, public expenditure mm -hmm. on capital projects, infrastructure, investment in skills and community and all of those things. The other 30% can go to oiling and the machinery of government mm -hmm. and trying to ensure that we cut out a lot of the waste from the past.
Well, we have to go to a break. Well, I'll come, we'll come back to you, Dr. Olodirin Bello, but we have to uh, uh, take a quick break. And I want us to look at the issue of also diversifying that economy because uh, Nigerian economists have said that, hey, the Nigerian economy is sometimes too reliant on oil and gas and there needs to be a sense of diversifying that economy in the future. And also, one of the promises that Buhari promised was that uh, he'll create one million jobs for Igbo youths in the southeast of the country. Is that actually possible. Thank you for joining us if you've just joining us here on Channel Africa. Today we're looking at uh, the new era of uh, Nigeria with the presidency of uh, uh, Muhammadu Buhari in the last Nigerian elections. We know that there's a lot of challenges that we highlighted during the program and we're trying to really ascertain how do we move forward uh, in Nigeria? How do we see a change in Nigeria? Is uh, uh, Muhammadu Buhari actually equipped enough to change that particular tide? If, if you've just joined us, let me let you know who's on the line with us. Richard Iriana is with us. He's a political analyst based at the University of Pretoria. Martin Awi is there with us. He's a senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies based in Pretoria. And also we have the program head of Governance of Africa's Resources Program at the South African Institute of International Affairs. That's Dr. Oladiran Bello. We'll continue this particular conversation as we wrap it up after this break. Bari, etise, mache, mingabu, baoni, kedu, mbote, ndemne, bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, for a brand new music show on Channel Africa called Africa in Song, every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You're listening to African Dialogue, where we actually have a dialogue every day from Monday to Thursday, looking at pivotal issues on the continent, from electricity to politics to presidency, good governance. It ranges from day to day, so we'll always surprise you here on the program. And if you're listening to us, you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on a 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Hey, connect with us. Do you think that uh, Mohamedou Buhari is the right candidate for uh, this uh, particular era in Nigeria for this transformation that we're speaking about in Nigeria. Can he transform the country of Nigeria? Let us know your thoughts by SMSing us on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. That's plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Or you can tweet us at African Dialogue. That's at African Dialogue or at Channel Africa One, the numeric one. That's at Channel Africa uh, uh, One. At Channel Africa One. Now let's continue with our guests. A lot of things have come to the forefront. We've been speaking about the economy, we've been speaking about terrorism, we've been speaking about power shortages in the country and the issue of that petroleum shortage in the country. So there's a lot of things that uh, uh, Muhammadu Buhari must actually do, as highlighted by Martin earlier on. Hey, he must actually extend his tentacles, moving this side, that side, that side, actually uh, moving to different di- areas in order to solve things in the country. But I want to look at the issue of diversifying the economy. Some people say the economy is reliant too much on oil and gas. Is that true, Richard? 
Uh, of course, uh, that is the true is the majority economy is heavily dependent on the oil sector. And uh, uh, for you to point uh, in uh, uh, the, the formation of the largest economy in Africa, then you should be able to diversify the economy. And I think that Buhari will have to do better as Nigerian president if he succeeds in diversifying the economy, increase the industrial sector, for example, the agricultural sector, needs also to be, uh, uh, to be um, I mean, developed. And uh, the, the resources for that are available in the country. And, of course, he promised to create a million, I mean, uh, million jobs. And he can do that if he is able to fix uh, the electricity sector. He cannot, of course, uh, drive industrialization in a country in the absence of energy supply. And you cannot, you cannot talk about industrialization also, even in the absence of uh, a developed uh, agricultural sector. So I feel that uh, I'm enjoying over dependency on the, uh, uh, on the oil sector, a complete development of the country. And of course, uh, because uh, it is uh, easy access for an, for an, uh, for an exchange earning, a lot of Nigerians are abandoned other uh, equally profitable areas or sectors of the economy into the oil sector. So I quite agree with those who argue that the country is heavily dependent on mm. the oil sector mm. and that the need to develop other sectors of the economy is paramount. Hmm. And also looking at this issue of uh, uh, diversifying the economies, the issue of creating jobs, especially on the continent, there's a big trend of youth unemployment. And hey, he says he's going to address this particular issue. And uh, what are your views there, Martin? And I'll take that question also to Dr. Bello after you. I think this will be one area where uh, Buhari will not have to crack uh, his head a lot because I think the... Uh, the previous uh, administration did uh, a good job, but though uh, many of the achievement came really towards the end, um, uh, I think uh, President Goodluck Jonathan actually instituted uh, to bring in the agriculture to be, uh, you know, to play a major role uh, to reduce that uh, over reliance on uh, petroleum uh, sector. Uh, and I think this was a, a great idea because he actually went about uh, constructing new uh, airports, uh, new facilities, infrastructures, which will have to, on which uh, agriculture will be anchored on. And I thought uh, that was uh, an excellent idea. But Buhari will just need to expand on that um, to even if he just followed the tracks that uh, President Jonathan left and continue with it, it would not be a bad idea at all, uh, and he will actually achieve a lot. Uh, if he can really uh, uh, build on agriculture uh, uh, in the same uh, spirit and, uh, you know, uh, rigor that uh, Jonathan envisaged, I think this alone uh, will employ uh, more than 5 million Nigerians uh, because uh, agriculture in Nigeria is huge. Uh, it's a sector that uh, employs both in the north and in the south. So uh, I think this will be one area where, you know, um, the Sardiners won't have to complain, the Northerners won't have to complain, because they will both uh, have uh, jobs uh, coming from different uh, sectors. The, the production of uh, granite in the north uh, somehow took a, a, a downward turn for no good reason. And I think the, the present policy is to bring that back uh, into the fore. 
Well, we have to wrap up the program. And in terms of your views there, Dr. Oladirin Bello, any final sentiments in terms of moving forward? We've highlighted the issue, the issue of youth unemployment, the issue of diversifying the economy. And also, I know that, as you mentioned earlier on, you know, uh, Nigeria is a very vibrant country. It has a big um, entertainment sector, uh, very vibrant in terms of, of entrepreneurship as well. What are your final sentiments of uh, also the people's responsibility in this new term? Um, for me, three um, key statements. I think um, Martin um, is right in emphasizing the template that Jonathan has left behind. Um, in diversifying the economy, you need to look in the direction of agriculture. Nigeria needs to strengthen its manufacturing base. And there needs to be closer support to small and medium scale enterprises. If you look at everything that is outgoing government has done, there is something for Buhari to build on there. The second statement I want to make, let's not run ahead of ourselves. Um, Nigeria's economy biggest in Africa, $510 billion. Um, oil's contribution um, overall is falling. It's an increasingly diversified um, economy. But when it comes to the generator of government revenue and export revenue, the extractive sector continues to be the big elephant in the room. We must look after it. So what Aguari needs to do there, it needs to prioritize um, the passing of the petroleum industry bill through parliament. It's been languishing there for years. They may need to split the legislation up into several small manageable components so that they can reassure investors, both Nigerian and foreign, that the sector would continue to um, be an attractive one to invest in. If they do that, they will generate that sort of revenue that you can put into diversification investment. If you don't have that money, you cannot diversify, I'm afraid. And the thought that it needs to look at, um, the security one that I'm sure you talked about repeatedly, mm. must think of Boko Haram and deny the Delta mm. as two sort of pincer movements about to um, you know, engulf this administration. And it must prioritize what is right to have gone after the Boko Haram issue. It must not um, look too far away from the Delta, where mm. I think the amnesty program is about to expire. It needs to think about the day after that. And um, to well, make sure that um, instability does not resolve yeah, I mean, in that part of Nigeria. Well, we have to let it go there. Thank you to you, Dr. Oladirin Bello, the program head of governance of Africa's resources program at the South African Institute of International Affairs. Thank you as well to Martin Awi, the senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies and uh, the political analyst of uh, uh, University of Pretoria joined us as well, Richard Eriona. Thank you all for your insightful views there on uh, this new era in uh, Nigeria. Let's move on. It's 1140. Central African time. Let's get our news from Tabiso Leoko. South Africa's Mineral Resources Minister Nwakura Matodi is in talks with the mining stakeholders in a bid to reverse the anticipated retrenchments in the mining industry. It's understood that about 30 mining companies are expected to shed 20,000 jobs. Special advisor to the minister, advocate Matodi Muofe. Insofar as this issue of shedding jobs is concerned, Minister Nwakura Matodi's deepest concern is that some of these announcements are made by the companies even prior to complying with the legal prescripts. 
pertaining to the fact that they have to comply with even the fortress making such announcement in line with the decision taken at the last mining industry growth which is an entity comprising of all stakeholders this task team must look at ways and means of trying to uh, abet some of these impending job losses South Africa's trade union, AMCU, has stressed that it's merely demanding a living wage. The union has threatened to embark on a wildest strike if its rival union and gold mining companies extend the wage deal to AMCU members. Although current profit margins in the gold industry are seemingly under pressure, unions are continuing to demand a $992 minimum wage. AMCU President Joseph Matunjwa explains the demands the unions are putting forward to the South African Chamber of Mines. We made it very clear to them that we are not going to engage under Chamber of Mine premises on this wage negotiation. We want a neutral venue and also we must appoint a new chairperson that will conduct the process of wage negotiation. We are also still disputing the issue of membership because they still reflect that NUM is still a majority in the gold sector of which we are disputing based on the sexual numbers that we've got in our office. Nigeria's fuel marketers, who are still not importing due to money owed them, have agreed to distribute fuel brought in by the state oil company. This after talking with new administration on Friday. Major cities are still suffering from gasoline shortages despite the end of a fuel distribution strike. After the negotiation on Friday, fuel became available not just at state-owned retail stations, but those owned by major and independent marketers to reduce the queues of double-parked cars. The dispute over subsidy payments have brought much of Nigeria to a standstill in May, as it relies almost wholly on imports. Egypt has reported record local wheat purchases of 5 million tons so far this season, suggesting chronic smuggling has been worsened by an inflated government purchasing price that is up to $200 a ton above the market. Egypt, the world's largest wheat importer, annually fixes a local procurement price for Egyptian wheat that is above global prices in an attempt to encourage farmers to grow the crop. But the high price has led over uh, the years to a smuggling business where foreign wheat is sold to the government, mostly Russian, falsely labelled as Egyptian. Traders say as much as 1 million tons of 5 million bought this season could be foreign wheat and 400,000 tons could also be Egyptian wheat stored from the 2014 season. Channel Africa's economic update. My name is Tabiso Lohoku. would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five, or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa Numerical 1 or write to us at the address P.O. Box 91313 Auckland Park Johannesburg 2006 Republic of South Africa 
We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, it's time for us uh, to get our sports. It's 11.50 Central African time. Let's get our sports from Musibudi Makura. Today, sports fans, leading FIFA official Dementio Scala says Russia and Qatar could lose the 2018 and the 2022 World Cup respectively if evidence emerges of bribery. The countries deny wrongdoing in their bidding processes and Scala admits he has not seen evidence of corruption. Scala is the head of FIFA's Audit and Compliance Committee. He made similar comments at the end of 2013, but in light of the events at FIFA in the past two weeks, this will be viewed as a more serious warning. At the same time, Trinidad and Tobago says it expects new evidence against Jack Warner and the FIFA scandal to be investigated locally, but reiterated he should turn himself into the United States authorities. Justice and Legal Affairs Minister Prakish Ramda says it is up to the local police to lead the investigation against Warner, who remains popular in his Caribbean country, despite the corruption allegations he faces as a former vice president of FIFA. Love Trinidad and Tobago, I ask you, go to your trial so that we will hear what the facts are and not what you say they are. And when you go, if you are to enter into any plea arrangements, then we hope that what you shall speak shall be the truth and not further fabrications, as we have had to endure this last several years. Let me just say that this is a problem for all of Trinidad and Tobago, and the solution rests in the heart and the conscience and in the hand of Mr. Warner to vindicate us by not absolving himself by admitting to what he has done, if he has done, because he's entitled to the presumption of innocence like anybody else, but put himself to the trial and let the, let the chips fall where they will. Edwin O'Conn, the head coach of the Nigerian women's senior team, says his team will make a bright start to the FIFA Women's World Cup campaign at the op- as they open their account against Sweden later tonight. O'Conn submitted that all the necessary preparations have been done and it remains for the players to prove their worth. Channel Africa's Tony Obani reports. O'Conn submitted that all necessary preparations have been done and it remains for the players to prove their work. We have done everything right to put the players in a perfect frame of mind for our group's opening match against Sweden. We have trained hard, perfected our act, and the players have been well psyched up, up to 100%. And right now, we are certainly hoping that everything will turn out well to give us victory. On to Hockey News, South Africa's women's hockey team is currently in Spain where they will compete at the World League semi-finals tournament getting underway on Wednesday. The South Africans will be using the tournament as qualification to the 2016 Rio Olympics. South Africa is in Pool B alongside the United States, Germany, Ireland as well as Uruguay. Head coach Sheldon Rostron believes they have a good chance of finishing in the top two. We, we believe we have a very good chance of uh, being able to enter the top two in this pool and that's uh, what we exactly want to do. Um, we want to obviously compete well against USA and Germany, which we've had very close runnings with uh, in the past. Uh, we want to start securing more wins against these two teams um, in general um, and uh, we want to use this opportunity to start to start gaining that momentum against them. So by ending top two in our pool, obviously that will give us a good um, situation ending up in the 
the quarterfinals um, and uh, we can start projecting a little bit of a better road for ourselves. Onto Athletics News, defending champion Lemukhang Palula sprinted the last kilometre to win the Durban leg of the Spa Women's Challenge in a time of 33.36 minutes. On Sunday morning, Palula ran much of the race alongside Nolene Conrad, who finished in a time of 33.39 minutes, while Rutendo Nyahora ended, or rather rounded up the top three in a time of 33.53 minutes. She says she is happy with her performance. What I can say, um, my race on Sunday, it was very, very nice. I enjoyed it, even though we waited for about 10 minutes to the start. And um, I didn't um, concentrate about that, but I just told myself that I need to maintain and just to prove myself and run well, even though it was difficult for me because I had a fever for almost two weeks. But I managed to finish the race and it was so wonderful. I enjoyed it. And finally, in golf news, Alex Noreen has won the Nodia Masters for the second time, capturing a fourth European Tour title. The suite closed with a round of 71 for 12 under par and a four-strokes win over the Irish Open champion, Sojin Klinsen. Nick Dyer reports. It's a remarkable achievement by Noren. He missed most of last year with tendonitis in both wrists. He's been playing this season on a medical extension, given that he'd otherwise have lost his playing rights. Now those rights are returned and he's back into the world's top 70 and this win caps a season in which this is now a fourth top 10 finish. In windswept conditions, he's played superbly controlled golf to back up the title claimed four years ago. Kelson's thrilled to have backed up last week's win at Royal County Down but concedes he never threatened Noren, who delighted the home support as the seventh Swedish winner of the event. For Zaya Sports News at the Sound, stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, you'll have to join us tomorrow once again here on Channel Africa for another informative installment of African Dialogue. Just a reminder, African Dialogue does come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Remember, you can interact with us uh, via Facebook. We've got a Channel Africa page there. It's titled simply Channel Africa or tweet us at African Dialogue. That's at African Dialogue. Or you can join us at Channel Africa 1, the numeric 1, at Channel Africa 1. But we'll be back with you tomorrow. We're going to wrap it up with a song but for me Benjamin Shatama until tomorrow God bless